This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. You know, one of my favorite parts of every summer is getting to spend time with my family at the beach, as you know. I do, and you meet up every August right there in America's heartland, East Hampton, New York. Oh, ha, ha, ha. I know you just love that joke. Keep going back to that well, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Over and over. (laughs) Pays off every time. Anyway, I love that joke almost as much as I adore Ina Garten. So we're coming full circle because, listeners, this week we're taking you with us to East Hampton, where we spoke with Ina Garten in her very own kitchen back in April of last year. Yeah, we kick things off, this is very tough duty, by making truffled scrambled eggs and brioche toast together. You're making me hungry. (laughs) I'm hungry too. And as you know, Katie, I've been a huge fan of Ina's for years. I like her show, The Barefoot Contessa. I like her cookbooks. In fact, I have all of them. My wife and I have all of them. So breakfast at Ina's and even a cameo from her husband, Jeffrey, we crossed a lot of stuff off my bucket list that day. And people, the download numbers do not lie. We know our chat with Ina is a listener favorite as well. So let's get to it. After we finish cooking our breakfast, we move to her kitchen table for a long chat about everything from feminism to her pre-TV days spent running a specialty food store called, no surprise here, Barefoot Contessa. Well, you're cooking with me, right? Yes, I'm going to help. Absolutely. So we're going to make, I mean, I like to take something really obvious like scrambled eggs and do it in a different way. So the two things that we're going to do that are different. One is we're going to cook it the way the French do, very, very, very slowly over a very low flame. And what it makes is very custardy scrambled eggs. Is and that then, what is that how they do it? Yeah, well, they do it in a double boiler, but we can do it in a, in a pan if we're really careful. And they use a ton of butter. 
Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> Except in this case, I'm going to use truffle butter. It's oh, butter that has good. white truffles in it. Yum. And I love truffles. Oh, you do? I particularly I do. like white ones. Oh, good. I, then I'm I making the perfect truffles. thing for you. There are people who are, are truffle haters. I don't understand it. My well, husband doesn't like truffles. It does have that sort of gym socks kind of flavor, doesn't it? <laughs> Feel the same about truffles. <laughs> Have I ruined it for you? Yeah, exactly. mm, delicious gym socks. But, the, <laughs> but there are these little pots of truffle butter that you can get that are like eight dollars. But it's real truffle shavings in it. Yeah. So, so does Yum. that sound good? Yeah, that sounds okay. delicious. Can we walk through your process for a second? How sure. do you come up with the idea for a recipe? I mean, how does it begin? Well, this is a good example. Actually, is I start with a remembered flavor, and you know, we all remember scrambled eggs, and um, and then I think, how can I do it differently? so it has more flavor, and how can I do it so it's simpler? I just want it to be something you think you're going to like, but it's better than you remember. I know I have some go-to Ina recipes. For example, I love the pasta pesto salad yeah. with the peas and, yeah. the, and the pine nuts. Yeah. But when you say, I just want to make something that I know is going to be delicious, what recipe do you do? Well, you know, it's funny because I think about it. I, I, I mean, after 11 books, I've really, or, I mean, I'm working on the 11th now. You, you know, I think, well, I have, have like a thousand recipes. So it must be, I must be making a different thing all the time. And yet I go back to the same things that I know that I can nail. And what are those? Close. Parmesan chicken with a salad on top. I think it's in family style. Yeah, yeah, it's in family style. Um, what are the things that we make all the time? Um, the French apple tart. This is Lighty. Yeah, Lighty works with Ina. We're wondering the Lighty story, actually. Oh, hi. Lighty, how did you come to work with Ina? Um, <laughs> through harassment. <laughs> um, I was friends in college with someone um, who was the son of, of my lawyer. Of Ina's lawyer. Oh. And I wrote a letter. It was the year of my last spring of college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I wrote a letter saying, hi, Ina, I really want to come work for you. And I sort of thought I could do social media for her. It seemed like a natural fit. And well, what happened was it, it, I mean, probably once every 10 years, we might be looking for someone and it just happened to be the moment. And what I loved about Lydie was so, I mean, the, before I even knew her is that she didn't graduate from Bowdoin and say, I just want a job. She graduated from Bowdoin and said, I, I want to have my dream job, and that's working for Ina. And so she just kept harassing her friend until he, <laughs> he called his father. And I said, well, how are you even going to get here? And she said, don't worry about it. I'll get there from Maine. And she showed up on our doorstep with an entire social media plan all laid out. And I just, I mean, we just fell. And then, do you remember the the final final straw was that I said, "What what drives you crazy in school?" She said, "My my, my roommates don't clean up the house, the kitchen in the house." And, you were hired. and I thought you were so hired. What a brown noser, Lighty. You know what? It was there were twelve girls living in one house. I mean, it's it's in one kitchen. It, well, I think it's a really instructive story about how you can kind of create your own job. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you didn't see or, a listing for this job. No, you kind of invented no, it. no, no. And also the lessons I think people can take from what you did. Uh, totally. A, going for it, being persistent, mm-hmm. right? Not taking no for an answer. Yeah. And then being so prepared and not making the onus on Ina to figure out all your logistics and to come with a whole media plan. Well played, Lady. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Thank so you. all you college graduates yeah. out there who may be listening to our podcast, all two of you, my daughters, <laughs> um, you should take 
take this seriously because I think it's a great example of, of finding your bliss, as they say, lady. <laughs> and here we are. Your here bliss. we are. Now, my bliss is truffle scrambled eggs. That's our first <laughs> okay. segue. Come with so me. We... Come with me. Okay. So, um, are, are you in charge here? of the recipe? So, when we test a recipe, what we do is read every single word to make sure it's specific and it's exactly the right word. So, okay, I think should it's I a, read what this yeah, says? Yeah, it's a medium um, saute pan, right? So yeah, place a medium 10-inch saute pan over light. Well, 10 inches is very helpful because I wouldn't know how big a medium saute pan is. Thank you. That's exactly right. So you yes. never know. And then you turn it on low heat. So is it two tablespoons or three? It says um, two tablespoons. Oh, no, one and a half tablespoons oh. of unsalted butter at room temperature. Now, why unsalted, oh. Ina? Um, do you know, I think you can control the salt better if you start with unsalted butter and then add salt because different kinds of butter have different amount of salt. Right. And the salt, you know, <laughs> I think the two most important ingredients that um, anybody uses. You're going to tell me butter and salt? Every, <laughs> that's the third. <laughs> the two most important ingredients about cooking every single person has in their house, salt and pepper. They make all that you can taste, like chicken stock that has no salt in it. It tastes like dirty dishwater. You put salt in it, it tastes like full, rich vegetables and chicken and wonderful flavor. I think it's a huge mistake that home cooks make all the time. They undersalt their food. They're afraid of salt. And this whole thing about salt is totally different now. I mean, everybody thought that salt was bad for you, but it turns out too little salt has a higher incidence of heart attack and stroke. And too much salt has. So please pass apparently, the Mortons. <laughs> exactly. No, the <laughs> diamond, diamond crystal. crystal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Ina, what I think is so exciting about cooking and the little I, I cook is all the delicious salts you can get now. Oh, Someone yeah. introduced me, Bobby Flay, not to name drop, I to, love Bobby Ma- Flay. to Malden salt. Yeah, uh, is oh, that yeah. how you that say it, Malden? Flakes at Malden. Flakes salt. It is the texture delicious. of it's delicious. delicious. And also this one, I love this. It's oh, like I have that at Florida home too. Sale. You do, yes. I know, isn't it? It's just, do you have it? I do. It's, it's and that's just, a great hostess gift if you're going it, to a that's party. That's a good idea. Yeah. It's um, Fleur de Sel. It's yeah. really, really good. Okay, who's in charge of cracking eggs? I will. Okay, I'll good. do that. So I need eight eggs. Eight eggs, okay. How's that? Excellent. And, now, do um, you take the little white thing that's attached to the yolk off? My mom always no. did. You know that little white stringy thing that is attached attached to the yolk. No. You don't. I have no well, idea. Well, now what I don't that have is. to. You don't have to. Get <laughs> You're free. Free. I, I'm not sure what it is, but we always <laughs> took it off. Okay. Actually, why don't we both do it? How's okay. that? Actually, one thing I do is I crack it here so you don't get shells in the. Um, oh, that's smart. In the- <laughs> yeah. She says helpfully. So the recipe says, in a large bowl, whisk together the eggs half and half. Yes. One teaspoon of salt and a quarter teaspoon of pepper. Okay. So who's in charge of uh, whisking? Oh, I this can whisk. Butter you want to whisk? So yeah. Good. <laughs> nice whisking, Brian. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> Had a lot of whisking practice. <laughs> How much salt and pepper? Uh, one and a half. Teaspoons of salt, I think. Or no, one teaspoon one of teaspoon salt. One teaspoon and a quarter of pepper. I like having a recipe reader. <laughs> so, wow, that's a good amount of pepper, but it looks great. So you have to be careful when you are, when it comes to putting butter in a, a pan, don't you, you Ina? Can, you can, well, sometimes you want to burn it if you yeah. want brown butter. Yeah. Which is burnoisette. Is, oh. um, it's a it's a great thing to use like in vegetables because it oh, has really? that kind of like little oh, kind, sort of burnt butter flavor, yeah, which sort is sort of nutty, heaven. right? It's nutty. That's exactly right. That's why it's called noisette, not not nutty butter. Ah, no, I think in English it doesn't work. 
<laughs> it was interesting. In preparing for this show, I read that your mother had a kind of a dietetic background, and you grew up well, not being... She was a dietitian. She right? was a dietitian, yeah. Not being able to eat a lot of carbs or butter or any Where of Where did you stuff even that find you, that? You did some research. Yeah. <laughs> My mother was obsessive about food, so we weren't allowed any carbs. We weren't allowed any butter. We had margarine. Um, but she just kind of got dinner on the table. And I was just always... She wouldn't let you cook. She wouldn't let me cook. And um, and her idea of a great dessert was an apple. <laughs> I'm like, that just doesn't work. <laughs> That's so, so funny. So is this the ultimate rebellion? It's the ultimate rebellion. I'm still working my, out my issues for my parents. <laughs> 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 but that's funny that that she just just uh, and and she felt like your job was to make good grades. Yeah, my and job to was study to study and mm-hmm. not to help in the kitchen, right? Ex- exactly. Okay, here we go. I'm just going to pour it in. This is the eggs. Oh, including the shell. I must have done is that. that. Me? No, that must have been me. <laughs> that's how you know it's real eggs. There's a little crunch in it. <laughs> so again, this I'm is very low very, heat. Very, very low heat. I'm going to let it just sit okay. until it just starts to heat up a little bit, until it's a little warm, and you'll see what happens. And in the meantime, what about the, don't we need a little milk? brioche toast to put this on? Absolutely. I think so. Kind and of buttery, right? brioche is sort of very similar to challah, isn't it? It is. Waspy challah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great. So I'm just going to do some slices, and then what we'll do is we'll put the eggs right on the brioche toast. I'll put some slices in the toaster. Let's see. So what I'm going to do now is just, as it's cooking, just sort of fold the bottom over the top. And then as it heats up a little bit. And in case you don't have the benefit of being here, which I assume you don't, (laughs) because <laughs> we're talking to you on the podcast. The eggs are just beginning to come together, but they're still mostly liquid. liquid How do you like exactly. that play-by-play? Play? I have no yeah. idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, thanks, Brian. Are you cheering for the eggs? <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for the eggs. <laughs> so are you stirring? Yeah. Are you in charge of stirring? Yeah, sure. sure. Stir. Just make sure that you get the um, eggs off the bottom of the pan, because yeah. that's where they're going to tend to. Okay. Um, and do you stir this constantly, Ina, pretty much? Um, a little bit, yeah. Okay. And then I think the more you stir it, the more the slowly it, yeah, more yeah. slowly it heats up. And the, because eggs are protein, and if you cook protein at a high temperature, it tends to get tough. This is so interesting. To, I'm not going to ever make scrambled eggs the old-fashioned way And it's way such again. a simple thing to do, and yet it really. You wait till you taste it; it just transforms it. Just transforms it. And one of the things, too, is to cook it until it's just undercooked because it's going to, as it sits, it's going to continue to cook. You know, you said something very funny once. You said you can feel bad before you eat a cookie. You can feel bad after you eat a cookie, but nobody feels, feels bad, bad while, while they're, they're eating, eating a cookie. cookie. <laughs> and I'm just curious, you know, since, they're so, since people are so sort of health-obsessed now, Ina, do you ever feel pressure to come up with uh, ways of cooking delicious things that aren't quite you as know, rich? I do. And, and I mean, I do anyway, because I don't think anybody wants all rich things for dinner. Right. So, for example, last night I did short ribs on a bed of um, blue cheese grits Yum. for dinner. Was, that sounds <laughs> light. It wasn't bad. No, no. But then I did a coffee granita for dessert. Ah. So you balance things. Right. You know, you, wanna, you want things to be crisp and fresh. And, and, and I made roasted broccolini. So it was some oh, very simple vegetable. And uh, you want me to take over? delicious. No, I'm Are you I'm, doing no, really no, well? I'm, 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 See I'm how interesting this. is? It's really just starting to, like, cook a little bit without actually big those big crumbles of scrambled eggs. And you it's, know what? One thing I know is going to bring up, it, you know, because I'm sort of obsessed with, I try to eat healthy and all and, that. And but one of the fit. things, yeah, well, I don't know about that. But one of the things that they, the studies that they found is you're much more 
sated if yes. you do have if you real food. If you eat some mm-hmm. fat, yeah, because exactly it makes right. you less hungry later, and so as opposed to now, an entire box of low-fat cookies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so those are disgusting. Those low-fat really cookies awful. have tons really of bad. sugar in them, really and bad. they replace the fat with sugar. But I think that people don't need to be afraid necessarily of having some some rich food or I, some I fat or butter as long as long as it's balanced, right? Okay, and how's it okay, looking, so Ina? Perfect. It's absolutely perfect. See how custardy it is now? Mm-hmm. So the next yeah. thing I want to do is put in a tablespoon or two, depending on how we feel. Okay. So one or two tablespoons of truffle butter. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's just I'm going to have this. So Isn't that good? Oh, so my you gosh. Should we taste it and make sure yeah. it's okay? Here, I, I want to make sure the truffle butter is all permeated in the eggs. Right. Thank you. Make sure it's, and the toast is almost ready. Okay, let's give this a try, Brian. Okay. Bon appetit! Bon appetit! (laughs) When we come back, we're going to sit at Ina's kitchen table and enjoy the fruits of her, well, our labor, I guess. When it comes to email marketing, there is so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement, which sounds really helpful. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide, and it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. Well, you kind of pick. Start- wait, you kind of pick this ad. Let me have a moment to start Sorry. building smart and beautiful email newsletters today. Try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com. <laughs> God, you're such an ad hog today. <laughs> God, the worst. And now back to our interview with Ina Garten. Is it good? Oh, it's good. Oh, it's so good. I want to bathe in this. Oh, my God. And it's just scrambled eggs. Oh, my God. But it's done in a different way. And a, a, um, shall we sit down? It's almost like truffle risotto, but better. And faster. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, would you put herbs on top of that? I do, actually. um, It's funny you should mention it, Katie. I actually have some um, chives. Because, so, can I'm I just say, do... I have serious garden envy. Uh, I'm looking well, these out. these came from my garden. Oh, my gosh. It's the I'm... first thing up in the spring is the chives. I'm looking out on your garden. You have, gosh, how many rectangles out there? Like 15 or 6, gosh, 15 Something or like 20? That. Yeah. And you, what do you grow out there, Ina? Flowers, and every year it's different. Uh, tomatoes, lots of tomatoes. I love cherry tomatoes. Oh, thank That's for you, you Katie. Thank okay. you so much. Shall we sit? Yes, <laughs> let's. So when I told people, Ina, that I was coming here, yeah. after everybody told me how jealous they were, Aww. the second thing <laughs> everybody you. said was, well, you've got to ask about Jeffrey. Everybody's <laughs> obsessed with Jeffrey yeah. and your relationship with Jeffrey and how you have this kind of perfect storybook marriage. 
Well, is it a perfect story? <laughs> I was like, not. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. We were coming through the airport in England, and and the 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 guy checking passports in London was, um, looked looked at his passport and he said, "It's you. You're the one." He said, "My wife is always saying, why can't you be more like Jeffrey Garten?" <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. But you guys have a. I mean, Jeffrey is uh, still teaching at Yale, right? Yes, he was the dean of the business school for. 10 years and he's been teaching for about 10 or 12. So years. is he so he's not here during the week. He's not I mean he you know he comes and goes but usually he's not here during the week, yeah. But seriously is that the secret we, absence we meet, makes the heart grow fonder? We meet in New York during the week so we you know we see each other on like Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So yeah, it's it's no that's not the secret. The secret is that you just take care of each other and you admire each other and support each other and and you get that back. You met him when you, you were know. a teenager and you were visiting your brother at Dartmouth? I was, yeah. We did yeah. our homework. You right really now. did your By homework. By the way, I want to apologize <laughs> if people hear me chewing on this mic. <laughs> okay. I'm you really sorry, too much because we're going to stop. I feel terrible okay. if you weren't. If you went, oh, I don't want to eat this. <laughs> so how old were you? Um, I was 16. I was 15. I was 16 by the time I met him. And uh, he came to, he saw me walking around the campus. Um, he said to somebody, his roommate, um, I wonder who that girl is. Now, you have to understand, Dartmouth was all men at the time. Right. So it was like the only girl walking around. <laughs> <laughs> Not much competition. Yeah, exactly. I drink water like, in the desert. <laughs> it wasn't like I was Elle McPherson walking around Dartmouth. <laughs> and six months later, he showed up my, at my doorstep, which is amazing that he remembered. And uh, anyway. So. You and Jeffrey never had kids. And, we didn't, and yeah. um, did you spend a lot of time with other people's kids or did you just not have that desire so much? I, I mean, I, we, we didn't, we decided not to have children. Um, I really appreciate that other people do. And we always have friends that have children that we're close to. But I, it was just was a choice I'd made married. very early. A, a lot of my married friends who don't have children, or some of them who don't have children. Um, they love your and, children, right? Well, yes, yeah. but, but they also feel like, I, I did a whole uh, talk show on this when I had my, my talk show about the ki- how society sort of treats couples who have decided not to have kids. Oh, that's interesting. And, and were you ever faced with that? Did people I ever did. kind of judge you at all? I never felt like people did, uh, that people did. Um, I think the one thing that we missed is a lot of people's friends are the parents of their kids' friends. So we never had that connection with other people that I see a lot of. That network. That network, exactly. Um, but no, I just, I never felt judged by it. Maybe people did, but I, I didn't notice. But I really felt, I feel that I would never have been able to have the life I've had. Um, and so it's a choice. And you know, you that said, was the choice I made. You said something that really struck me. You were asked at some event, you know, what issues do you have in your marriage or how do you overcome the issues in your marriage? And you said, you know, we don't have dogs and cats and kids and things that make it messy. We don't have issues. <laughs> we don't actually. Cause I, I mean, I, we, you know, we have respect for each other. And if Jeffrey and I disagree on something, he always agrees with me. <laughs> I like, that reminds me of a toast. Here's to you, here's to me. And if we disagree, screw you, here's to me. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that. I know, it's very important. Yeah, it's a very exactly. appropriate Easter Sunday <laughs> to you your vows, you can say that, yeah. I also think one of the nice things about Jeffrey, among many nice things, is he really encouraged you to totally. do what you love. And 
Totally encouraged me. Some people know this, some people don't, Ina, but I always find it fascinating that you actually were writing nuclear policy for the White House. <laughs> I was. Uh, for a period of time. So clearly, you're a bit of a brainiac. No. Yes, no, <laughs> I really. give that job to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. what, but um, what, what drew you to do that, and how did, how did you land that job? I was really interested in science, and I had a job doing legislative work at, um, in Office of Management and Budget for two years, where all the legislation comes to you. You have to write up a paper for the president with a you know, recommendation whether he signs the legislation or not. Um, scary that they give that to 25-year-olds, but that's what I did. But I was really interested in science. So after two years, I switched over to the science and technology area, and they assigned nuclear energy budgets to me. I have wow. no idea. So you must anyway, have learned was, so much. It was really interesting. And I really got a sense of what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Right. Because, because, and you didn't want to do that. You know, one of the things I always, oh, oh, this sounds so crazy, but the one of the things I was sure I wanted in my next life, because you had to get dressed up. I mean, you had to wear silk blouses and heels and stockings. Was that and, the era when we wore little ties around our necks? That's exactly to try right. To professional. <laughs> professional. It was such a bad look. <laughs> exactly. It was the 70s. That's exactly. Yeah. I mean, women who w- wanted to be taken seriously, you know, got dressed up. And I thought, oh, I just want a job where I can wear sneakers. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> and brightly colored sneakers. And actually, usually I'm in my bedroom slippers, which is even better. <laughs> you decided to dress up for us today. Thank I, I dressed you. up with my sneakers. But finally, you were like, you know what? I don't really love this. And Jeffrey said, Something really, I think, that transformed you. It totally transformed me. And and he's always so encouraging. He said, I I came home one day from, I said, I just, this isn't me. This isn't what I really want to do. And he said, pick something that you think would be fun. Pick something that would, you know, don't worry about whether you make money. Just pick something that would be fun. If it's fun, you'll be really good at it if you love doing it. And I said, well, funny she mentioned it. I've seen this ad for a business for sale in the New York Times. And it was a tiny specialty food store for sale in a place I'd never been. And he said, let's go look at it. And that was in West Hampton. Was in West and Hampton. that was the Barefoot Contessa. That was which called had the been, Barefoot Contessa. But named after a, a movie with Ava Gardner. It was uh, named after, there was a movie with Ava Gardner. And the owner, when she was a little girl, they used to call her the Barefoot Contessa because she was Italian. Oh. And so she named the store the Barefoot Contessa. And you, you went and saw it, and you get offered, you made an offer I the next a, day, right, a, or right then and right there? Right then and there. I, made, I walked into the store, and they were baking cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I want to be here. <laughs> and I made her a low offer, thinking, oh, she'll come back, we'll negotiate, we'll have time to think about it. And um, she called me the next day in my office and said, thank you very much, I accept your offer. And I remember going, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 I walked into my boss's office and said, I think I just bought a food store. <laughs> and you did that for how long? Uh, 18 years. Wow. Yeah, long time, which was fun. I mean, it was, and, and when I stopped doing that, I thought, I don't, you know, I thought it was time to do something else. I'd done that for a long time. And I thought, it's really time to do something else, but I just didn't know what it was. And, and before took, we get there, can yeah. we just back up for a yeah. second in the chronology? How did you get excited about food and cooking? Because we heard that you grew up in a house uh, where food was not special. And it was I think all about I was health. starving. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was always hungry. <laughs> and you took this trip to France with Jeffrey that really yeah. changed your life. Yeah. We, we went on a camping trip. We had four months with nothing to do and no money. And we decided the only thing we could afford is a tent and sleeping bags. And so we took a four-month trip to France. And I remember coming into, in Normandy, into a campsite. And it was kind of late in the afternoon. And 
the woman who owned the campsite said, I just made, I think it was caco vin for my husband or beef organ or something like that. And, and would you like some for dinner? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, I need to know how to make this. And I came home and after this trip and we, and I just bought Julia Childs Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Wow. And started cooking. While I was working in Washington, that's what I would do at night is cook. And then I would have people over for dinner on the weekends. And I think that's why when I was doing nuclear energy during the day and cooking at night, and I thought, wait, this is crazy. I want to do that. So that's how it, that's kind of how it started. I also thought it was interesting that when, I know you were making this decision after 18 years running and owning and yeah. cooking and, and baking <laughs> at the, the coconut cupcakes, which I'm still <laughs> obsessed with, at the Barefoot Contessa. By the way, they were about the size of my head. They were, <laughs> we believed in big cupcakes. Yeah, they were much more healing. <laughs> but you decided, you know, I want to I wanna do something else or I want to transition into some other aspect of what I'm doing. And you took a year off because... Uh, someone said to you, you can't really figure out what you want to do next if you don't have time to really think about it. Because mm-hmm. I think many of us feel like you can't get another job unless you have a job. That yeah. somehow you're less desirable. But that year off was really important to you. But you said it was the hardest year of your life. It was the hardest year of my life because I went from like baking a thousand baguettes and having customers come into the store and the energy and sort of, I always felt like the store felt like a party. Like when you walked in, did it, feel, it felt yes. like a party, like the music was on and the coffee was there. And I'd forgotten that something's got to give that scene. And that was filmed in, in the store. I know, one of my exactly favorite right. movies I of know. all time. Isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I just, I thought, well, for a while I tried to figure out what to do next and I just couldn't figure it out. And this friend said, you have to stop. Type A people think they can figure out what they're going to do next while they're doing something and they can't. And I was like, okay. Built myself an office upstairs and then I had nothing to do. I mean, like nothing. (laughs) So for a year and out of complete boredom, I thought, well, Jeffrey said, well, stay in the food business. You love the f- food business. He, and I thought, well, people have asked me to write a cookbook, but that's not the kind of thing I want to do. So, because I can't imagine I'd be able to write a cookbook. And it seemed like a very solitary thing, as opposed to the store, which is very social and fun and up. And um, I thought, well, at least after a year, at least I have something to do. So I wrote a p- book proposal, thinking... Uh, Maybe I'll do that while I'm figuring out what to do next. And, and you I, ended up loving it. Can I we pause for it. two seconds so people can hear me take a bite of my brioche? <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> the eggs don't make much sound, but the brioche definitely that was, does. That was both affected and totally genuine. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you ended up loving the process of writing cookbooks, loving it and loving the people you were working with, right? Well, it turns out it's not a solitary thing because there are, when we do the photographs, there's, you, you have to have a sense of design. You have to know where you want to go. The photographers and the stylists and the, I remember the first time right here in this kitchen, actually, I did a photo shoot with a food stylist. I thought what a food stylist did was like, I would make the food, they would um, put it on a plate, and then they, they would, would brush the, it with... They yeah. would dye the turkey with they coffee, dye, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or brush it with motor oil or something like that. <laughs> and I was terrified because I thought, how I have to make every single recipe in this book for somebody to photograph. And I'm standing behind this counter and I'm going, okay, what do you want first? And the food stylist said, I'm the one who does the cooking. And I was like... Oh, this is great. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, phew. 
And so she made everything in the book, and the prop stylist brought the perfect plate, and um, the photographer was just wonderful. And I, I remember thinking, this is so much fun and so creative and so interesting. And, you know, I hope somebody's going to buy this book <laughs> so I can do it again. <laughs> and now, 11 books later, well, I guess your 11th is coming out. I've done 10, and I'm working on the 11th What now. is the 11th going to be called? I you know? don't know. You're not going to tell us. You have us. to come back. I'll really? be like Shahrazad. Can you, can you give us a hint? <laughs> can I, can I tell It'll you? have recipes in it. Okay. <laughs> can I tell you why I think your cookbooks are so great? Oh. I think you ignore... No, no, no. Don't tell me that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think you acknowledge, unlike a lot of other people, that entertaining is difficult and stressful and (laughs) anxiety-producing. And you make it so that you can kind of go step-by-step through the process and figure out how you're not going to be a nervous wreck when people show up Mm -hmm. and the food's going to be delicious and it's going to be done pretty much when people walk in the door. And I think that's pretty uncommon for cookbooks, which sort of expect you to be standing over a hot stove while you're supposed to be simultaneously entertaining people. Is that, is that the trick? Well, you know, the irony is I remember thinking going into the cookbook business, what makes me think that I can write a cookbook when great restaurant chefs write cookbooks? But I realized very quickly I knew two things that restaurant chefs didn't know. One is I'm not a trained professional cook. I mean, I, I, I've cooked more than most people, but I'm really, I never went to see Culinary Institute, CIA. I never went to really formal training. So I know it's really stressful for me to cook. So it's important for me that it's really simple to make. And the other thing is when you own a specialty food store, you find out what people like to eat at home as opposed to in restaurants. So you like to eat coconut cupcakes, roast chicken, roast carrots. Um, when you go out to a restaurant, you want something a little more challenging, like right. asabuco, or you want something like um, uh, bouillabaisse, which is harder to make at home. Right. So um, so is that sort of your motto or your edict, simplicity? Totally simplicity, as much as possible. That it's, if it's something that I make, and we that night my assistant Barbara goes home and makes it for her family, I think, yes, that was a great recipe. Um, if, if I make something and... Three quarters of the way through, I get bored with it. It goes in the trash and never makes it in a book. It has to be something I'm willing to make again for company. Well, let me pick up Ina on something Brian said because I do try to entertain, and what I find myself totally pitting out about, <laughs> which is so appealing when you're talking about cooking, is getting everything ready at once. And I'm so bad at that. Like I can do most of it, but then I panic at the end. Well, that's part of the deal, too. I mean, it's not like I don't either. Jeffrey knows in the 15 minutes before people arrive, I'm always going, don't talk to me. <laughs> so do you, do you try to do dishes that um, I'll tell you what I try are- and do. I try and do something that's in the oven, something that's on top of the stove so they're not competing with each other, and something I made in advance that um, is served at room temperature so that you don't have to think about having all those things hot at the same time. That's that's good advice. So it's really about the planning more than it is the doing. It's if you plan it and you say, um, and you plan it carefully, you don't end up with one oven and two things that go in at different temperatures. But that goes back to the, you know, what I call the game plan. And if you do the game plan and you figure it out, so like... You plan your dinner parties like the Normandy invasion. I do. I mean, you have like... <laughs> These elaborate lists, which are very helpful, actually. I, you know, every time people come for dinner and I have a whole written list of like 7.10, put the ham in the oven, 7.30, take the ham out, put the broccoli in. 
And then I don't go at, at noon, I'm, I'm not panicking. <gasps> I should start cooking now. No, I'm not. I shouldn't start cooking because my list says it starts at 530. That's really, that's really smart. It's pretty simple, but it, it, it's such a, um, a great way to organize yourself. But you can also start in the morning if you want to make like a watermelon and feta and mint salad or whatever exactly. you might you do. do. And morning. you can do it and put it in the refrigerator. And it's actually better because all the flavors get together. Yeah. Yeah. So. so beyond the, the cookbooks and mm-hmm. the TV show, yeah. you briefly had a line of products, both frozen foods and mixes. I did. And yeah. that, th- those kind of came and went. Well, for different reasons, but I love the products. I was really proud of what we did, but the companies changed, and um, we, didn't, we didn't love the way, the direction the companies were going in. And I just, I'm, I'm, I, I love what I do. I love the cookbooks. I love the TV show. I love um, having a life, having time left over for a life. And uh, I just, if it's not making me happy, I don't want to do it. I think that's a really powerful lesson from your life for other people. Thank you. You, you edit I do. Constantly. Yeah. And you just think, if I'm not enjoying this part of my life, I'm mm-hmm. going to get rid of it. Well, if it doesn't make me happy, it's not going to make anybody else happy. I think it's, um, that really translates. And if I don't have time to, like, do things. I was going to and- say, I think it's as much about spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. I went to this meditation retreat. I know. You're learning so much about me, people. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really stick. But they, they told us that the Maharishis, the, he said, what do you think the most important word for a happy life is? No. No. Peace? Well, close. P- uh, peacefulness? No. Discernment. Discernment. Isn't that interesting? So deciding what is important, deciding Isn't how it? you're going to spend your time. And clearly, yeah. you practice that by saying, I don't want to do so much that perhaps it'll keep me from doing the things I love well. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's exactly what Having I Having said that, I'd like you to bring back the scone mix. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make some mix for you and I'll drop it off. <laughs> that's, well, that's what I mean. I was really proud of those products. I thought we did a really good job and we worked really hard on them. But unless the company's going to stay with the quality of what we wanted to do, then it doesn't work. But you talk about how people come to you all the time with business oh proposals <laughs> and ideas. And you say no to almost all of them. I, yeah, I say no to almost all of them. <laughs> I mean, people wanted me to design a line of clothing. I'm like, I wear the same thing every day. <laughs> they didn't you know, want you to do yeah, Somebody wanted me to make clothing. Somebody wanted me to do furniture. I'm like, furniture? Well, I think you know what they wanted to do, Ina, which I think you see more and more of these days. They wanted you to be a lifestyle brand. Yeah. And you see so many people becoming, you know, from Jessica oh, Alba yeah. to... Yeah. Reese Witherspoon, Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow, the ultimate lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't appeal to you. I just, I mean, I loved, as you say, I love doing what I do really well and having life, you know, just having wonderful life. Somebody asked me if if I would do a line of fertilizer. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say just go to a cow pasture? I was like, you want my name on your shit? I was like, why would I do that? Do you you think of yourself on a totally different from fertilizer to philosophy? When people think of bullshit, do you want them to think of you? (laughs) Do you, Do you, Ina, consider yourself a feminist? Um, You're a powerful working woman. I, I, yeah, I do. Um, I think that um, my, when I left working in the White House, I knew I was never going to be the head of that organization. This was the 70s. It was never going to happen. And the only way that I was going to determine my own future was to do it myself. And so I think my decision to own my own business was part of that, is that, and I think a lot of, a lot of women 
fight with the existing system rather than creating their own system. And Amen to being, that, sister. Is it, don't you think so? Yes. It's, you can't change the system. And maybe you can move <laughs> it a little bit, but it's very hard to it change. Hard. And so I, I've always chosen to, to create my own system in which I can be successful. And I think you were ahead of your time because now I think there's a much more entrepreneurial attitude totally. among yes. people. And obviously, well, and, and whole, uh, all new, you know, whole new businesses are popping up because of technology. And women are very successful in corporations. But in the 70s, that's not tr- that wasn't true. Right. But even now... Uh, yeah. Ina, you look at the number of CEOs in the Fortune 500, and it's pathetically small. Is, is that right? If you yeah. look at, you know, of course it is. Uh, women in the House women, and the Senate, it's a pretty low number. Right. If you look mm-hmm. at women actually in tech, in high positions in tech, it's actually declining. It's worse. Yeah. And so, um, yes, it's gotten perhaps better, but in many ways, the obstacles are still, still there. there. Yeah. I yeah. think there's a lot of subtle sexism too in the workplace that. Uh, can be very demoralizing at times, but I'm sure it's to that's we've a whole seen, other that's Oprah a, people. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving that for my book. That'll be in the next podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's interesting. Your brand is kind of a combination of the old-fashioned and the modern. It is. You're, uh, you're cooking yeah. for your husband. Mm-hmm. Your latest book was called Cooking for Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're a powerful, independent female business owner. Thank you. <laughs> so it's, nice. it's interesting, I think, that people can can have both and can can sort of reflect their values in a multitude of different ways. Well, I think Jeffrey's advice really was great, is, is do what you love. And if you love it, you'll be very good at it. But it's not, so with, simple. It's not without uh, risk. And we got a voicemail yes. yeah. from someone. It's a very sweet voicemail um, who wanted to talk to you about your decision to really switch careers. So let's listen and you can respond. Oh, great. Hi, Katie and Brian. My name's Kendra. I live in North Carolina and I am a new listener to your show and love it so much. And then I heard you were going to have Ina Garten on the show, which made me jump up and down. Um, I have a question for her about her relationship with risk. Um, I'm always moved by women who make choices that are daring, who are trailblazers, who do things that they might fail at, um, especially in the public eye. And so I'm just I would love to know Ina's thoughts on her journey, the evolution of her journey of risk and failure when she opened that first shop in the Hamptons years ago and up to now. Um, I would love to just open her head and find out what she thinks about risk to inspire me to not be so afraid. So please change my life, Ina. Thank you, guys. (laughs) How cute is she? We don't want to open up your head because that sounds very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think people um, stand at the side of the pond talking about what the pond is. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it deep? Is it all the things, are there murky things under there? Um, I think that you have to just jump in the pond. In answer to Kendra, um, I have a very low threshold of boredom. If I'm bored, I need to change things. And I just, I can't stand being bored. And so I'll, I'll take a risk, which heightens your awareness of what you're doing. It makes you a little scared. And I, you know, that, I think that's good being a little scared because if it keeps you up at night, you'll figure out the problems. But when you're jumping in the pond, it's not that you're just going to stay in that pond. That's just the beginning of it. It's then you look over there and you go, oh, the the pond's really interesting over there. So you go in that direction and then you go in another direction and you keep going until you find the stream that feels right to you. So it's not a one-time thing. It's just a, you're just pushing yourself off the cliff and, and going where it takes you. And, and even if and I like it, being scared. And 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 also I think failure is not the worst thing. 
if, if something doesn't work out, you learn from it and it helps you move forward in a different way. I Don't you just, think, Ina? Just calling it a failure is the wrong way to think about it. It's just a lesson learned. And you go in the, and, and then you f find out what worked in that and what didn't work. And then you go to the thing that worked or the thing that you liked and go in that direction. I think you're so right. We need to, we need to redefine uh, failure. Yeah. It's we not need failure. To, to stop using the F word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to ask you a question about all those years before you ventured off on your own mm -hmm. as a cookbook writer and a TV star. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you were owning and operating this shop. Uh, you were kind of serving wealthy summer residents, and you became part of the community of people who live here year-round, who don't have mansions on the ocean. Did that teach you something about inequality or divides in the country? Because you've been able to sort of traverse both those worlds. Well, East Hampton is, is not just wealthy people with big houses on the ocean. People, they're farmers and fishermen and builders and all the trades that exist anywhere else are here. Um, I think East Hampton's gotten, I mean, the Hamptons have gotten a re reputation from, you know, TV shows as being just, you know, wealthy people behaving badly. <laughs> um, and so I think it's a, you know, it's, it's like any community. There's a broad spectrum of people that live here and they all love coconut cupcakes. And so it's, you know, the price of admission to Barefoot Contessa was zero. You could just wander through and have some samples of coconut cupcakes and, and, and be out on the street or you can buy a baguette for a few and have a wonderful time. So they're like everyday pleasures. It's not like, um, you know, buying a mansion on the beach. So I think, you know, food appeals to everybody. And, and I, I like that kind of feeling about it. There's an expression these days, uh, I think my daughter taught me, food porn. <laughs> and when it comes to things like Instagram yeah. and uh, even the various food networks, there's something so mesmerizing about watching people cook and make food. And I could watch some of these videos on Instagram. Yeah, we do them. Like, I love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all day long. And many of the people who watch these videos would never cook what they're watching. No, but it's just so much fun. Why do you think people are so... Do you think it's escapism in a weird way, Ina? I think that we all long for that mother who's in the kitchen cooking for us. And she's not there anymore. And there's that center where somebody's rolling out pasta or cooking, roasting a chicken. And she's a doctor and a lawyer and, a, you, know, a you know, doing podcasts. <laughs> so, Equally prestigious. So, <laughs> someone say more. <laughs> um, and so that sort of core of us is missing that, is mom home in the kitchen that we're familiar with. And I think people are coming back to that. And I think Food Network had a huge amount to do with it. There's so many chefs, celebrity chefs out there. Do you ever get competitive? Is there a bitchy side to Ina Garten? Please tell me there is. <laughs> Please, Ina. I, I no, never, just you, Katie. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. It's true. I've actually never looked at what other people are doing. I just look at what I'm doing and do the best I can. It just, I mean, I'd like to tell you there's, a, there's an edge there, but is that true, Lighty? No edge. <laughs> I don't want to 
just drop her to a lie detector if she says that. Somebody once said, you're exactly the way you're on TV. Your language is a little worse. <laughs> but you were reluctant to host a cooking show. You had written, I think, your second cookbook. Oh, totally. And the Food Network came to you. Yeah. And you didn't really want to do it. I, I mean, I just couldn't. I mean, I, I, I had gotten used to writing cookbooks. I loved doing it. I wasn't bored, so I wasn't looking for something else. And they kept coming back over and over again and saying, please, won't you do it? And they kept upping the offer. And I'm like, I'm not negotiating. I don't want to do it. Just lose my number. And they found a production company in London whose work I loved. Um, but it was Nigella Lawson's show. But I'm thinking, I'm not Nigella Lawson. I can't do that. <laughs> and, um, and they hired them and called me and said, they're coming to your house in two weeks to do the show. I said, I said, I'm not doing it. And they said, oh, just do 13 shows. And I thought, well, I'll be terrible. I'll do 13 shows and then we'll be done with it. And they'll lose my number. And that and was so that 15 was years 15 ago. 15 years ago. Yeah. And now you have a whole barn on your property. I do. And yeah. that's where you shoot your cooking well, shows, mostly, right? Mostly what I do is cook, test. I mean, that's my office. That's where we meet every morning and we test recipes for the cookbooks. And then twice a year, we do the TV shows there. So, and we're actually just doing a new series, which starts, I think, the end of May. Um, oh, please, as, plug it. As, <laughs> as, as people are going more towards, like, food, food porn and game shows, we're going in the other direction. And I'm doing a series called Cook Like a Pro, which is all the sort of little tips you need to know, like how to cut a butternut squash in the best way and, the, and how, to, how to do – it's recipes, but more information than just tips. It's about processes. Oh, things that's that I think people would, would be interested to know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because those kinds of tips, then you know it, and it can serve you sort of the rest of your life. And, and you have to come up with a new show, Someone's in the Kitchen with Ina, oh. don't you? <laughs> Someone's in the Kitchen, I How know. many people remember that? Someone's in the Kitchen that? with <laughs> Ina. And you can sing Making the theme song. scrambled eggs with truffles on brioche. <laughs> this is kind of our tradition, by the way. Katie sings on every podcast. I have podcast. to sing on every podcast. And now yeah. the audience demands it. And if we go an episode without singing, they get annoyed. So give the people what they want. So in addition to, to all the things that you're doing, Ina, are there other things about you that people don't know, issues that you care about, things that you talk about with your friends that are important to you? Well, one of the things you and I have talked about is um, is organizations that help, and I think Ellie is with one of working with the Southern Poverty. Well, though, Carrie Law actually, Carrie. My, my younger daughter Daughters. is working with the Southern, Southern Poverty, Poverty Law, Law Center, Center this summer. And I mean, organizations that help people locally and nationally, like the ACLU um, with um, immigrants that have issues, and uh, I think there are so many incredible. Um, support systems in this country, and I think it's it's getting harder and harder to rely on the government to to fund them. So people have to. We really need to. I've I've been involved in the um, Innocence Project, is which is I think they do an amazing job, isn't it? A I mean, eyewitness testimony is so unreliable, and so many people have been convicted of things they didn't do. And so that's that's one uh, issue you really care about. Are there are there others that you spend a lot of time on? You know, I think there's so many organizations that um, need help. Um, I mean, I, I support Planned Parenthood. I think um, they do an amazing job, and I, I know they're under enormous stress now. Um, and, and frankly, people don't understand that, I don't know, like 93% of what they do is women's health. 
Right. It's, you know, it's a very important organization for women that can't afford good doctors. And the thing that is so political is a very, very small part of what they do. And the money that they get from the government already cannot go to fund abortion services. Yeah. So People don't so understand that. that. Yeah. But how do you get your news? I'm just curious. Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, um, online, both hard copy and online. I think it's a different experience. Um, I still like to read a paper. I do. Too. I yeah, do. I, you know why? I just like the. I like to see the layout because it tells me a lot about the editorial choices that have been made in mm-hmm. terms of how they prioritize articles. You I know? totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I find totally that if I don't get the hard copy, I miss stuff for whatever reason because yeah. online is so targeted to my interests. Oh, I can't find the unexpected yeah. thing. But I'm like the only one. You know, I know under 40 who still gets the hard, <laughs> still copy. Gets the hard copy. Yeah, not only do I have the body of a 70 year old, I have the brain of a 70 year old. <laughs> you do not, Brian. Stop oh, saying that. I'll be <laughs> well, this has been such a treat oh, for us, I'm so Ina. Happy to see it's, you. it's really Always. been, and uh, I think, you know, it must be, I don't know, do you get uncomfortable uh, about the fact that there are so many people who feel connected to you and admire you so much. And I think in many ways, feel that your presence is really comforting to them. Thank you. That's wonderful. Well, I mean, don't, I but don't, you know that. I, I, mean, no, I, I love, as Brian said, that you know, I've taught people how to cook because when you cook, everybody shows up. I mean, no, nobody's ever called and said, come for dinner, I'm cooking, and said, no, 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 I really don't want a home-cooked meal. But when, when everybody shows up, that's when you create a community for yourself. And so it's not really about the food, although it's nice if it's delicious. It's really about the people that share it with you. Are you and Martha Stewart buds? I mean, we've been we've known each other for a really long time. Yeah, we used to do parties together. Actually, one time Martha, <laughs> we do benefits together. Really, yeah. one time Martha made a, a ham and brought it on the Today Show. Yeah, and after the segment, I asked our food crew if I could take the ham. Yeah, and uh, so I ended up serving it for Easter dinner. <laughs> And it was a big conversation piece. <laughs> it must have been a really good ham, too. It was a really good ham. It was a really good ham. Anyway, well, speaking of really good hams, yours is in the oven. We don't want to keep you too long because uh, it is Easter and you have to prepare for Easter dinner. But thank you, Ina. So happy to this see was you. such I'm a happy treat. So much. Such a treat, really. really. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, too. Happy, happy Passover. <laughs> Whatever your spring awakening (laughs) holiday is, have a wonderful time. And just when we thought we got everything, who walks in the door but Jeffrey Garden in the flesh and... uh, And in the sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we got to talk to the man, not I guess behind the woman. Yeah. Oh, hi, Jeffrey. Oh, my gosh. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm good. How are you? Do you have a good morning? This was such a treat. So we've been talking about you, Jeffrey. You have? Yes, we have. All all nice things. Who's the editor? (laughs) These two. This show is going to be called Ina and Jeffrey, The Real Story. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't think that was in the contract, right? (laughs) Well, do you feel like, Jeffrey, you finally learned to cook being married to this wonderful woman all these years. You're, you're kidding, right? <laughs> you're not kidding. at all. Uh, uh, he makes really all. good coffee. <laughs> I have a very lame excuse. 
<laughs> that we were married so young, with the exception of my time in the Army, I never lived alone. So I never had a chance to cook because she kind of preempted it right from the very beginning. <laughs> oh, poor Jeffrey. <laughs> poor Jeffrey. Oh. Everybody feels sorry for Jeffrey. <laughs> and when you were in the military, by the way, you know, we, we know too much about this. <laughs> you know too much. You learned to speak Thai. Yes, he did. He lived in Thailand. Can, can you say something to me in Thai? Well, you wouldn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> anyway, well, we've had so much fun. This well, has been great. really, really a treat. Thanks very much to Ina Garten for opening up her home and her hearth to us for this and it's episode. it's a beautiful home It hearth, is a beautiful home way. on a beautiful Sunday morning with the sun coming through. Easter the, Sunday. That's right, the sun coming through the windows and the birds chirping, and it was just idyllic. Also, thanks to Gianna Palmer for producing the show, to Jared O'Connell for mixing and engineering, Nora Ritchie for additional production assistance, and thanks also to our social media maven. I think that has that on her card. Allison Bresnick, social media maven. Just like and your card <laughs> says badass. That's right. And it, right, my new cards. And to Emily Bina for her part in producing And the I show. should add one thing, Katie. Thank you for cooking us an amazing dinner last night. You're welcome, Maybe inspired Brian. by Ina a little bit. You made us leg of lamb mm-hmm. and lemon pasta mm-hmm. and asparagus and mm-hmm. cupcakes. And challah. And challah for those of us who are celebrating the Pesach <laughs> as well as the Easter And you put us all up at your beautiful house last night. Well, it was a lot of fun. And that's a train in the background, everybody. We're right near the tracks. (laughs) Katie's on the wrong side of the tracks. (laughs) And Mark Phillips, thank you, as always, for our wonderful theme music. Katie Couric, Mitch Semmel, and I are our executive producers. And remember, you can email us at comments at couricpodcast.com, or you can find me on social media. I'm Katie Couric on Twitter and Instagram, and katie.couric.com. On Snapchat, and Brian, you're on social media as well, primarily Twitter. Twitter, Goldsmith B on Twitter. And uh, best of all, you can rate and review our show on what is now known as Apple Podcasts. Used to be iTunes. iTunes is so March. It's so yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) April is all about Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to the show as well. That's how more people can find it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. When it comes to email marketing, there is a lot more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform complete with mobile-friendly templates, a simple drag-and-drop email editor, and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Hit it, Brian. (laughs) Okay, Katie. This one line, no wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. Well played. Back to you. Well, well played. Back to you, To Katie. start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free. Hello at CampaignMonitor.com. Again, that's CampaignMonitor.com. Now who's the ad hog? <laughs> Stitcher. The sport, famous sportscaster whose voice was so, like, gravelly. Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, that's yeah. exactly right. He's and the Howard Cosell of scrambled eggs. Coagulate <laughs> in the pan. <laughs> Thank you. Coagulate's a really delicious word. <laughs> Hello, deadbeats. It's Gabby. 
Gabby Dunn, host of Bad With Money. I had the Bad With Money book come out in January. I'm super stoked for season four. This season, we're going back to our roots, and I'm having long conversations with amazing people and getting the big picture about money and the economy. Do you like intersectional, queer, social justice-based money podcasts? This is the only one, so get into it. Did you earn it? Do you deserve to be like a billionaire when somebody who's working as a janitor or working in Walmart or, or a you know, teacher working, or a teacher? Yeah, certainly. Or a teacher who may be working just as many hours as you, maybe just as smart as you. Like, is does that make it OK that you have so much? I get paid once a month. So my, my checking account's huge. It's like a tidal wave comes in. And then on the second, it's empty again. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're speaking my language. Bad With Money is back now for season four. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.